One can look at ASU's contest versus Fresno State and USC to think that ultimately there are two of the same in terms of performance, since they did both end up in the loss column. Nonetheless, while the loss two weeks ago to the Bulldogs, a shutout defeat no less at home, really did not offer any hope or optimism for the future, the sentiment after the USC game was a much-needed 180-degree turn. So what can we take away from the Sun Devils' performance last week? How has head coach Kenny Dillingham's play-calling takeover have an impact on the squad, and how do we see Arizona State faring in their first road contest of the year as they travel to Cal? To address those issues and many more surrounding ASU, I will be joined by Speak of the Devils podcast co-host Brad Denny, who's been covering the Sun Devils for over a decade. Thank you very much for tuning in. Let's get this thing started. Welcome to the Devil's Junkies podcast. I'm your host and devilsdynast.com publisher, Hode Rubino. And since my guest has had me on uh, 85, maybe pushing 90 times on his podcast, it's only fair that I reciprocate and maybe slowly but surely try to get uh, to that level. Uh, I'm, of course, joined by uh, Brad Danny, uh, Speak of the Devil's uh, co-host uh, podcast. Uh, Brad, how you doing? Doing well, thanks. Yeah, I think uh, you're like 91, 92, so I got a ways to go. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I saw, saw myself short. I won't do that again. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you were there with me at the uh, USC game uh, last Saturday. And I know that you and I really don't believe in moral victories, but needless to say that uh, that loss against USC felt a whole lot different than the loss against Fresno State. It was weird. I mean, in a, in a game in which your defense gives up, you know, over 40 points, you lose by a few scores. You came away feeling pretty good about the the trajectory of son of a football. And I think for me, the big thing really kind of was through, even though this is kind of a year zero, it's a total rebuild. You saw some of the the flashes of what the program wants to be. Of course, you know, in the stands, it was a great atmosphere and Kenny and the players really kind of brought, brought that point up a, a couple of times, rightfully so. And there was an energy kind of a tangible impact on the game early. It was a couple of procedural penalties from USC, uh, but also just kind of, with the exciting offense and kind of the risk-taking, kind of the, you know, the, what we haven't seen, quite frankly, with Bo Baldwin calling plays, but with Kenny now at the helm, uh, getting some, you know, exciting, uh, you know, uh, results with the offense, scoring, you know, more, a uh, couple points. Uh, and also the defense is getting after it. You saw, you know, through kind of, you know, obviously it's, it's going to be a real, real uphill battle to take down the number five team in the country. But I think in a year where even Kenny said, you know, the wins don't really matter, kind of, you know, based on kind of the bowl managers, all about just getting better and getting closer to where this program wants to be and position itself uh, in the future. You know, he continues to bring up kind of a Mike Norvell trajectory at Florida State. It's kind of the very uh, bad early record, but progress. And then, of course, the bamboo uh, reference that he brought up. Altogether, I thought it was just some several steps in the right direction. You know, far from perfect. You know, obviously, this is a team that sells a lot of major holes. But in a 14-point loss and, you know, a game where you're giving up a lot of points, strangely enough, it kind of felt really good if you're a Son of a fan. I feel that all the uh, trickery and creativity that Dillingham did display on offense is maybe a little bit of a double-edged sword. I mean, on the one hand, if you're going to even attempt to try to beat a team like USC, and let's face it, Brendan, we're not putting a spin on this. ASU wasn't too far from uh, yeah. pulling off the upset. I mean, anybody watching the game or even just looking at the box score uh, knows that it really wasn't too far off. So maybe that was definitely the right approach to take. But um, 
I also felt that maybe Dillingham really kind of emptied his uh, bag of tricks. Not that I'm selling him short. I mean, he might have a, a whole lot of tricks that you, you and I don't, don't even know. And and some of the tricks, as you know, are even improvisations. Uh, that fake punt where Cam Scadaboo threw for first down to uh, <laughs> Elijah Badger was not in practice at all. Yeah. Uh, that was a, a pure, pure improvisation, and Kenny Dillingham uh, admitted as such. But uh, I think like the, uh, the other side of the coin here is that okay, um, are you maybe sending a message to yourself, let alone your opponents, that you're going to have to be really creative and really come up with, you know, some uh, concoctions from your uh, play-calling lab uh, to beat teams from from here on out? I mean, is that a dangerous uh, proposition? I mean, I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are on that specific element. I thought it was kind of a, you know, multifaceted approach. I think, obviously, when you have the number of injuries on the offensive line especially, and that kind of really kind of – paid kind of they had to kind of pay, pay that bill a little bit in the second half where just kind of pass protection almost completely fell apart seven sacks in that in that second half alone but just knowing that you know they're they're shorthanded they're you know playing kind of what was a, a backup quarterback in drew pine a guy who didn't have a really good performance but just i what really kind of impressed me in terms of kenny's approach was the fact that he's getting the ball to the playmakers you know obviously scataboo Using in all kinds of ways, you know, with the, with his punting leg, you know, with the, the improv as you mentioned, kind of uh, you know free, freelance a little bit on that fourth down call, uh, but you know, of course, the fact that this is a running receiver we've seen in practice dating back to spring, getting finally getting Elijah Badger and Jalen Conyers the ball a lot more than they have, you know, in, under the, the previous play. So almost kind of like a mirror image of what we saw with Glenn Thomas in the first half of last year. All of a sudden, Sean Aguano gives the play calls and he starts using the playmakers and the offense, not surprisingly, starts to do much better. Um, so I was really impressed in, in that regard, and I thought you know there was kind of you know by necessity approach to just you know the, the injuries at quarterback and most pronounced at offensive line, even in kind of you know in the, the backfield kind of the depth limitations there. Um, I do think you know that it was interesting, you know, how many times they kind of went to that bag of tricks a little bit, and of course you know they, they kind of the Philly special in there as well. But a guy with like with like Kenny D- Dillingham's pedigree, I, I think you know that that bag is going to be pretty significant, and I I think he knows at this point that his team just talent-wise and kind of, you know, especially in the in, in factoring in injuries, just can't go toe-to-toe with teams like USC and, and Washington at this point. So we're going to have to see. You saw the, I think that was really kind of, you know, came to the forefront of the onside kick, knowing that you're going to have to probably steal, you know, multiple possessions to be able to to get that upset. And, you know, they, didn't, they you know, I'd like those chances. And I think maybe, I don't know, maybe you know, he did say, you know, the whole wins lost don't matter this year. If that bullpen wasn't, announced or whatever and, and, and if they did in his mind would we see as many chances or is this kind of just like completely going for broke kenny dillingham and just you know seeing what he's got there and just you know throwing caution in the wind and, and seeing where the chips fall um it, it'll be interesting to see exactly how especially as you know they have more of these marquee ranked matchups coming forward uh, but i think the blueprint was there and you know some of these guys you know especially after the bye in a couple of weeks they're able to heal up a little bit and, and solidify that line Maybe we might see something, some better results, and maybe not have a, as hefty a reliance on the the uh, trickeration. Yeah, and I, and I think you bring up a good point as far as uh, when he says w- wins and losses don't matter, which I understand is a statement that may rub fans a little the wrong way. But as you mentioned, if there wasn't a postseason ban, I don't think he would make that statement. I mean, he might internalize it, but I don't think he would. I don't think he re- really would say it out loud. Um, in my opinion, Brad, I mean, it really was important and maybe more on the offense and the defensive side to really keep these players motivated and to really have them strive to something again with that, knowing that the postseason, even if they do get to six wins, is not going to happen. And do you think that maybe that's the uh, ingenuity 
of, of, of Kenny Dillingham that he, he might make a statement where he says, you know, wins and losses uh, don't matter. And he still has his players motivated and, and playing with the fire underneath them as he did against USC. Yeah, I think that's been uh, kind of one of the uh, more impressive things for me, uh, Kenny Dillingham, since he took over, both with his players and kind of just, you know, in, in general, kind of the, the valley, the community just kind of warding off apathy in terms of, you know, the end of the, the, the Herm era. And I think fans were kind of checked out. He got them to kind of buy and get some excitement. And now with the players, I think, you know, with that was obviously, I mean, we were we still were there that, that was the Sunday practice after the news came down that morning. There was obviously kind of, you know, players were bummed. But since then, you, you start to see the energy kind of pick up. And, you know, I heard, overheard Jalen Conyers at practice, you know, saying like, you know, they would have, I got, I would have to, my, my leg would have to be broken for me to miss a game like that. Uh, like, referring to USC last week. So like the guys are bought in. They know that, you know, there's no going to be, you know, postseason effort, but there's still a lot to play for. Uh, and the way that he's, I think, he, he, well, I guess psychologically, I think Kenny Dillon is really kind of impressed. But just the, the, the way he approaches things, he words things. It seems like every word he utters to his players and, and to the media is with intent and, and kind of precisely uh, crafted. And I, I think that, you know, he's really able to find a way. And, you know, maybe it's part because he's, you know, Closer in age to those guys, or just you know, he is what he's picked up along the way. But I really think that you know a lot of it's calculated, and not in, you know sometimes calculated can come off in a wrong way. But I think it's in a, in a positive way, continuing to get guys bought in to play hard, to know that you know even though there is not necessarily the traditional carrot at the end of the to chase at the end of the season, that these guys are still really kind of putting in that effort. And we saw you know they're going toe to toe with the number five team in the country. They're they have the ball, the chance to take the lead. Uh, in the fourth quarter. I mean, that's really all you can ask for uh, in, in year zero or year one of a rebuild. Uh, and, you know, especially get back in the injuries and they're right there competing. And like, especially coming off, to, off of a 29 nothing loss at home. You, I, I was you know kind of worried, like watching, like worried, like how, what are we going to see from the, the Sun Devils going up against this, like this, this elite opponent. And, you know, they came out swinging and they kept swinging and, and, and fighting to the very end. So that was one of the most impressive things for me, just, his ability to continually get the buy-in, you know, granted it's four weeks, so you know, it's, a, it's a long season. We'll see if that continues as uh, these, as these, uh, no shortage of uh, hard opponents that are coming up. Would you agree that Kenny Dillingham, who obviously was part of the staff under Todd Graham, took all the positive parts of Todd Graham and maybe left away some of his shortcomings and really is able to walk that fine line? Well, he'll talk about accountability, and we talk about penalties. I mean, ASU right now in the penalty department is doing the best it has since the Todd Graham days. Uh, and I just feel that, I mean, I, I hear a lot of Todd Graham in his voice, but I also feel like, unlike Todd Graham, he knows which buttons to push and which buttons to leave the hell alone because uh, it's only going to be more to the detriment of the team uh, to to be more of a micromanager than rather uh, really being focused on the issues that, uh, really are gonna affect your team for for good or for worse. I mean, did you also you also agree that um, with with that Todd Graham analogy that I just made? Yeah, I I, I, I do say like sometimes you, when he gets going and you know when Kenny does just can't get, really get rolling and, and whatever point he's making, he puts that passion in there. You kind of you you don't you're almost kind of waiting for that Texas draw to almost kind of drop <laughs> in a little bit just because <laughs> it is like a little bit of uh, of Todd there. Uh, you know, I do think, you know, and one of the interesting things, like I, when I sit down with coaches, it's like, you know, what things that from the coach that you've interacted with or coach under have you taken away? And I do think that, you know, there's a lot of that Todd Graham that he you know, kind of pulled. And I but I do think that, you know, kind of maybe perhaps, you know, more to the youth or perhaps the, the 
other coaches that he's had he's worked with along the way that he has kind of you know paired away some of the problematic elements of the Todd Graham era and and, and added some good things you know whether it's uh, stuff from his top to Florida State or most recently at Oregon or whatever obviously he's spoken at great length about his uh, the impact and influence of Mike Norvell on his uh, on his uh, career so I do think that you know the Todd Graham is apt in terms of just you know the way that he's able to make his points and get his across communicate and get his players kind of fired up but not crossing that line that Todd Graham kind of, you know, would get a little bit hokey and something. I think that, you know, over the course of his tenure, the players kind of ultimately tuned him out a little bit there. But, you know, in certain even like more tangible areas, like you cited that, you know, the penalties right there. I mean, other than just the, the one second half after the three hour storm delay, penalties are a rarity. And, and that's, you know, a tangible, I think, impact to what we've seen in terms of practice. I mean, when they had sloppy practices, he's kind of going the Herb Brooks route. And it's like they're running sprints like again, again, again. And uh, and. You know, did you see those numbers and like it's having a positive impact in that era? And obviously, after coming to what we saw in the last few years to, under Herm and just the lack of accountability there, I mean, when you're a team kind of you know scratching clawing to get wins, not committing you know five six penalties a game can be a difference. Yeah, I know. I know it wouldn't be an interview with Brad Denny unless it was under Herb Brooks or any hockey reference in there. So <laughs> I did. I did appreciate that. Um, I did want our conversation really to uh, be dominated by the offense, even though obviously. The most dramatic improvement we saw is on that side of the ball. But I feel on defense, uh, even though you look at a one to three record and you think, wow, you know, this defense is just not getting it done. Much like the Fresno State loss, you really can't come with, with a whole lot of complaints uh, towards the Sun Devil defense. And sure, you can look at 42 points, 535 yards uh, yielded, uh, um, you know, by, by by your opponent and think like, wow, this is a, little, a really rough day in the office. But this ASU defense is really playing, you know, very, very well and really not getting a whole lot of support from the offense, even though the USC game, I guess, was maybe somewhat of, a, of an anomaly. Um, are you surprised what you're seeing from the ASU defense right now? And how much uh, of a factor can it be in any hopes for the Sun Devils to have a decent season when it's all said and done? It's interesting because, you know, going back to, to spring and fall camp, you know, when Brian Ward's installing his scheme, I know that we saw that the defense was most days really kind of dominating the sessions and it was kind of question, are they really that good? Is perhaps the offensive line or the offensive line struggling that that much? And, you know, what we saw, just like consistently good defensive play. And after the Fresno State game, you know, I'm getting shut out 29 nothing. I said on, on speaking of the devil, I think this is a legitimately good Sun Devil defense. And then they go out and, you know, if the box score scanners, you know, seeing all 42 points and, you know, a ton of yards, but like they're, they put up forth a really good effort. I mean, they're facing the death star of college football offenses and did pretty well. And on the season, as you mentioned, the offense has really not been giving them any help, you know, 11 turnovers on the year uh, by the committed by the ASU offense, just one opponent touchdown. That's pretty damn good. And so I, I'm really impressed with what they do. The pass rush is, is starting to click, even with, without Clayton Smith. Prince Dorbuck's been kind of a revelation. B.J. Green has been doing what we've seen him do all camp long since his move to defensive end. And, and week by week, we see these guys getting more comfortable in Brian Ward's kind of chaotic scheme of just, you know, he's bringing pressure and looks from all different levels. And, you know, a couple, uh, you know, against Fresno State, three and a half sacks by defensive backs. And then, of course, you know, getting after him, trying to corral Caleb Williams is a tough task for any defense, but I still think that they did pretty good in terms of just overall going up against you know, a pretty Herculean task. And uh, I think that this is going to be a really good defense. And, you know, it, uh, maybe not, you know, 26, 2013 or, or, or 96 type of level, but a really good defense, especially when you, in, in year one of a scheme and some of the players. And obviously this is 
not the, the, exactly the roster that ultimately this coaching staff wants to get. There's it's a process to build, but I think the results year in year one have been really legitimately good and, and a lot of reasons for optimism. And if ASU is going to, you know, kind of surprise, I you know said it preseason, said it early, going to continue to say, I think that's going to be based on this defense and they continue to put good forth, good performances that kind of, you know, gives the offense a little bit more time to kind of hopefully figure things out and get healthy a little bit. So let, let's go ahead and uh, take a look at the upcoming opponent, uh, Cal. Uh, first time ASC was leaving the friendly confines of Tempe, uh, go, going on the road. And you look at this Cal team, and it's uh, still a team that I think is kind of hard to figure out. Uh, much, much like ASU, still seeking their first Power Five win. Um, you know, they start on the road, uh, beating North Texas 58 to 21. Okay, really can't take a whole lot out of that. And I would say, you put the, their uh, loss at Washington, 59-32. Again, I don't think a game you can glean a whole lot about this uh, Golden Bear squad, either on offense or defense. So I'm just taking like, the two games that are sandwiched in the middle, uh, a loss 14-10 to to Auburn at home, and then a win at home uh, against Idaho, 31-17. to And, yes, uh, the game really was that close. Uh, Idaho was shut out in the second half. Uh, otherwise, uh, Cal – might have uh, found itself uh, with a uh, sensational loss, just like uh, ASU did, I would say, against uh, Fresno State, even though there are top 25 uh, this week. But, um, you know, I, I'm just curious, uh, you know, about your thoughts about, about Cal. I mean, a game that I don't think anybody would be shocked, maybe aside from Las Vegas, to put ASU at a double-digit uh, under <laughs> underdog uh, to win this game. But, but uh if there is a game where you can show like, okay, not only is ASU improved, but now they're putting the game in the right column. I think that this might be a contest where you, where you can point to uh, for uh, some kind of bounce back after three consecutive losses. I, I think so. It's almost weird to say I'm, I'm almost getting to the point where I think like in a season where the head coach says wins, don't, wins, losses don't matter, that this might be kind of a must win, kind of like a, a proof of concept of, ish game or proof of concept adjacent game uh just because yeah cal i don't think is very good i mean we they obviously routed a, a pretty poor north texas team but the offense continues to kind of be i mean they have a pretty good backfield Jaden Knott's one of the better backs in the conference but they still have no idea what their quarterback situation is you know whether it's going to be ben finley more the pocket guy sam jackson the fifth you know the tc transfer in terms of you know is he going to be kind of the more dynamic but obviously that's just kind of the tale of the justin wilcox era there is like bad offenses but pretty good defenses um so it'll be interesting to see exactly what happens there i think you know the performance that we saw with kenny Dillingham leading this this uh, the, the play calling for the sun devils some of the playmakers getting involved i don't think this is the you know cal defense that's risen to some of the higher elites of, in the conference type levels that we've seen over the last you know five six years or so i think there's opportunities to uh you know make some big plays and maybe put forth another you know high 20s 30 points effort uh, on the road and, and you know i, I at this point, just nothing that I've seen. If they can, if the central defense can kind of put forth that same effort that they did against the elite Cal or the USC offense against a Cal offense that's still trying to figure itself out, I'd like the chances there of uh, the Sun Devils, you know, kind of keep putting the clamps down there. One concern I do have is, you know, USC, who had a lot of success running that ball. Marshawn Lloyd was, was, might still be running uh, as of right now, but, you know, I, you know Jade not still, uh, you know, still a very good back, and they got a couple other guys behind him that can that can move the ball. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of uh, adjustments that Brian Ward and, and staff make in terms of kind of shore that up, because I don't necessarily think that, you know, Cal's a team that's going to, you're going to worry and lose too much sleep about them passing all over you, especially with the quality of ASU secondary. 
Uh, you know, this could be a game where Dorba and, and Green are able to kind of get, you know, whether it is Finley or, or Jackson back there, kind of make life a little miserable, create some turnovers. I do think that this is a matchup that right now, as of right now, favors AFC. Yeah, that you mentioned the Vegas one. That was like nine, eleven points. I've seen very. That wasn't like I don't know. I mean, is the where does that come from? Are they like still living high off the? 58 points they dropped on uh, on the bad uh, mean green uh, earlier. I don't know. That was that was startling to me because I mean uh, obviously Washington's gonna make a lot of teams look bad, but I just you know you said the other games, you know they were they were trailing for a while against Idaho. So I don't know. The, the, I just don't see it from Cal. Maybe this is a game where they find pieces together. But I, I think I think going on the road with some positive momentum finally for the first time. You seem to be getting a little bit healthier. Trenton Borgay is back in that lineup, so I think that'll that'll help things. I think it's a game you got to get if you're the Sun Devils. Yeah, and, and I wanted to touch on uh, the last one of the last points that you made about, about Trent Borgay now in the offense. And and I think with Borgay's uh, uh, quick release, and, and sure, like he's not a, a quarterback that's going to wow you with a variety of throws and a cannon of arm uh, down the field, but with this um, – offensive line that that did, did look shaky again even against USC on the other hand you can pin a lot of those sacks uh, eight in total uh to uh, Drew Pine holding onto the ball a, a, a little too long which I don't think is going to be an issue with with, with a guy like Trent Borgay and going back to the much earlier point that we made that you had to really go in, deep into the bag of tricks against a team like USC and I'm not saying that Cal's defense uh, is chopped liver compared to USC. This is definitely going to be a challenge. They're number two in the nation in turnovers. I think they're ranked number 55 on defense. And obviously that ranking took quite a bit of a hit after that trouncing uh, in Seattle, which, you know, you hate to say it, but it's just uh, no shame in getting, in getting trounced in Seattle. And ASU is going to be there in November. We'll see how that game goes. But, uh, but nonetheless, I mean, do you think that maybe the insertion of now Borgay as the starter and let's just, Clarified to those people who don't know that Drew Pine um, has been ruled out uh, due to injury. And uh, Kenny Dillingham just said earlier today he did not expect it to be back in the foreseeable future. Do you see that maybe this is a game that allows ASU to do more bread and butter stuff and not really needing to resort to Scatabo's, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> repertoire of uh, of the unknown uh, to, to to beat Cal? Do you think maybe that is one aspect? that can actually help ASU, especially when they're facing a defense like Cal? I think so, because uh, Borgay has been such a good and effective, as like as most effective, really, when he's kind of playing that point guard role, and this is an offense that likes to, you know, get the ball out in two, two and a half seconds, and, you know, if they can, if Kenny can continue to dial up, you know, plays and uh, and schemes that get the ball to Conyers real quick, to Badger, to Guillory. I don't think Guillory had a reception uh, last week, but, you know, Badger got heavily involved with, uh, with uh, eight, eight, nine catches, and yeah, Conyers had his best day of this young season so far. Borgay is a guy that, you know, behind that ramshackle and kind of offensive line, and he can be the guy that I think can just you don't have to worry. Because, yeah, I mean, there were some of those those plays with Pine that were just like, come on, man, like, you're better than this. Like, we, we saw spring practice Drew Pine, unfortunately, rather than the kind of the fall camp Drew Pine. And uh, I do think that, you know, now that uh, – uh, Borgay's healthy, you know, 95 to 100% per Kenny and with that kind of fresh arm, that he can be a guy that can be more of that, just kind of get the ball out quick and, and to the playmakers in space. And ASU can be you know, able to take advantage of, of some of those matchups because there's not a whole lot of uh, defenses and a lot of defensive backs that can you know, kind of go up against uh, a guy like Elijah Badger 
or then you have uh, Jalen Conyers kind of taking the stuff over the team. We've seen Bryce Pierre in recent weeks getting more involved, and I had a conversation with Jason Mons today and really kind of spoke highly about the growth he's seen there and his kind of development as a, another weapon in this offense. And so maybe, yeah, you don't have to go, you know, Scadaboo doing just about everything uh, in a more traditional role, but you still – if you have a quarterback who's as savvy and smart and knows kind of, you know, what's going to happen before the snap, like Borgay with his football IQ, I think you can, you can really start to get cooked. And that's why I'm pretty confident that ACU is going to be able to kind of continue to build off their offensive momentum from last week when you have Kenny Dillingham kind of, you know, getting back in the saddle at that play caller with, with the weapons at that disposal. And just I think he's was able to kind of scheme well, you know, at least in the, in the first three quarters uh, of getting away from, uh, you know, or kind of scheming around the deficiencies on the offensive line. Okay, Brad. Well, uh, for those uh, people that uh, may have no idea, you know, what you do when it comes to uh, being a beat writer for Arizona State, and I'm saying that jokingly, but uh, why don't you tell the, the fine folks listening to us uh, how they can uh, find your work and uh, what do you have uh, upcoming in your own podcast this week? Yeah, so uh, Speak of the Devils uh, is available everywhere that uh, you get your podcast. Uh, myself and uh, your uh, writer Joe Healy been doing it for 13 years now, and so uh, uh, we you know coming coming at you guys each and every week, uh, dropping ep- new episodes on Tuesdays during the season. We're also on the air and on your TV on the Arizona Family Sports Network. It's going to be the same place you can catch your Phoenix Suns games all season long. Uh, those episodes drop on Thursdays, 7:30 p.m. with a re-air on game days at uh, Saturday, 10 a.m. Um, yeah, and just give me a follow on all the social medias, if you like, at uh, bdenny29. Well, Brad, uh, thank you so much. Uh, it's going to be a long, if not impossible, uh, journey to uh, match your appearances on my podcast as uh, <laughs> they're trying to compare it to my appearances on your podcast. But uh, thank you uh, so much uh, for your time. And uh, I'm sure I'll be seeing you uh, once or twice this week. Sounds great. Have a good one. Thank you. And that'll do it for this episode of the Devil's Junkies podcast. I'd like again to thank my guest, co-host of Speak of the Devil's podcast, Brad Denny. And as Brad mentioned, my longest tenured staff writer, Joe Healy, is his co-host on that podcast. And he's also the individual responsible for the comprehensive previews of all of ASU opponents this season. So to make sure you don't miss any of Joe's features, as well as all the features we already have on our website, and those will be forthcoming as we preview the matchup with the Golden Bears on the road, Make sure you become a premium member of our website and subscribe. All you have to do is to go to our website, devilsdigest.com, and on the upper right-hand corner, you can sign up and be part of our Sun Devil community. I would absolutely be humbled and honored to have your patronage. So thank you so much again for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week.